Thank you, young people. Book of Matthew, chapter 27, Matthew 27. And we've been accused of indoctrinating our young people and guilty. Uh, Matthew chapter number 27. And uh, there's nothing wrong with teaching our children, teaching another generation what the Bible says. Uh, Matthew 27. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture tonight, and I'm going to get right into the Bible study because uh, I do have much I want to get to. And I don't want to keep you uh, much longer than I normally do on a Wednesday night. But uh, throughout the year, here and there, I've taught in this series of a Culture at War with the Church. And I'm going to teach in that series again tonight. And this truth, uh, this outline, this, this study, if you will, is going to be a help to you, uh, a help to, to all of us, uh, if not today, at some point in our life. Then after the first of the year, I'm really going to get into this series, and I have uh, several different uh, uh, subjects that I want to get to. Uh, but tonight we're going to look at one verse, Matthew 27, in verse 42. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Now bear in mind, Jesus is on the cross. Jesus has been arrested. He's been falsely accused. Uh, he's been uh, tried uh, even though they couldn't find anything, anything wrong with him, he was turned over to the angry mob. Uh, they're trying to crucify him, crucify him. He has been beaten. He has been whipped with a cat of nine tails. The crown of thorns has been placed on his head. And remind you, he did all this for you and I. He did all of this for mankind. And now he's nailed to this old rugged cross. And it is pronounced, the chief priest in verse 41, mocking him. With the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. If he be who he says he is, come, off, come down off the cross. Uh, tonight I want to look at that first part of verse 42, himself. He cannot save. That's the title of my message tonight. Himself he cannot save. Father, I pray that you'll help us tonight as we look into uh, the scripture. Uh, we look into the word of God. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our instructor tonight. And Father, as we look at this, may we be reminded of uh, your power, your providence, uh, your sovereignty. And Father, may we as your children uh, be reminded of these things this evening. May it be a help to us. Uh, bless our dear family here tonight. Bless their work. I pray that you'll just provide their needs and empower them and use them so that many can be reached with the gospel. Bless our time remaining, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Think of the title of the study tonight and think of what the scripture says when the chief priests mockingly, as Jesus is nailed to the cross, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Now, my first response, and certainly your first response, is probably close to the same. Oh, he could come down if he wanted to come down. Uh, he could save himself from that cross. We know that they did not put him there. We know that Jesus, obedient to the cross, went there. In a few more verses, he is going to yield up the ghost. He's going to yield his life. It is not going to be taken from him. But himself he cannot save. Have you 
ever asked the question, why did God not answer that prayer? Why did God allow this to happen? Why does God allow this evil to exist? Why does God allow circumstances in the world we live in, in our nation, why does he allow the evil, and seemingly they have their day, and they have their authority, why does God allow these things? As we ponder those questions for a moment, we come back to our text. Christ's crucifixion is a sobering reflection of man's cruelty to the Lamb of God. As a reader of Scripture, we cannot understand the evil that filled the air as the focus of darkness on that one spot assembled against the Son of God. We can only, through reading Scripture, get an idea, get a sense of what is taking place there. But all the forces of hell, all the darkness of that day had assembled against the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot understand the evil that was present, the evil that was in the air. Have you ever been around a wicked place? You can sense the wickedness. You can sense the evil. I know some of you right now are saying, yeah, I'm fixing to go back home. So uh, that's not what I'm talking about, but uh, you, get the, you get what I'm saying. We, as, as just a casual reader of Scripture, we can't understand the evil. As a reader of Scripture, we are critical of Peter for warming himself by the devil's fire. But we cannot imagine what it sounded like when Christ's accusers hurled insults at him and screamed at him. We cannot imagine what it would have sounded like to hear the fist of a soldier hitting the face of our Savior. We're critical of Peter warming by that fire. We have no understanding of what it was like in that day. As a reader of Scripture, we offer no sympathy for the disciples fleeing as Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails. I don't know about you, but I'm Sure, most of us, not all of us, at some point in reading through the account of Christ's crucifixion, where are you guys at? We offer no sympathy, but let's be honest tonight. You and I have no understanding what it would have been like in that setting, setting and see the one who had walked on water, see the one had you had seen miracles now being submitted to beatings that usually men did not survive. We have no idea what it would have been like, as the Scripture tells us, that when the Son of God hung on that cross, you could not even tell that He was even a man. My point is this, that that day was so evil and so unexpected That order was turned into chaos. My intention is not to justify or interpret the actions of those who lived through that day. But only to point out the scenario was so unexpected and so surreal 
the human mind could not process how could this possibly be the plan of God. Think about it. Yes, the disciples should have remembered what Christ had said. But would you have interpreted, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it again in three days as Christ being crucified? Often, many times, we look at scenarios and we don't understand how could this possibly be the plan of God. Imagine coming out of an all-night prayer meeting with the Lord himself, only to be taken captive by that throng, that mob, betrayed by one who was among you, to be taken and falsely accused and, and, and to be uh, falsely convicted and to be offered to a, to a mob and tr- your li- his life, the Son of God's life traded for that of a criminal. And everything that you had seen the Son of God do, everything that you had witnessed, everything that he had taught, you knew this, was, this, this could not be the plan of God. He's the king of the Jews. He's the Son of God. How could this darkness be the plan of God? Christ allowed himself to be arrested, mocked, beaten, crucified. We could, do we think that we could interpret all that he had taught as this taking place and happening so fast and so surreal. Likewise, we sometimes find ourselves in scenarios where we cannot see nor understand how the situation we find ourselves in could be the will of God. How can God allow prayers to go in our mind unanswered or allow a church to be persecuted or a missionary arrested for preaching the gospel how could that possibly be the will of God for somebody faithful willing to go to another country only to have their freedom taken away only to have their health taken away and sometimes have their life taken away just for doing what God sent them to do. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I have found myself saying, how could this be the will of God? We hear the scoffer say, your surrender to God did you a lot of good. We hear the critic, if your church is doing right, then why have... All of this happened. We hear the scorner, if it pays to serve God, why did you lose that loved one? Why do you suffer with disease? Or why do you face these hardships? Can anybody relate tonight? In other words, himself, he could not save. I know what it's like to pray over a sick child and pray for God to heal and know what my intentions are, and know how I would attempt to rear that child, and to know that there are children who linger between life and death only to live in a home where they're not going to have any hope, and they're going to face physical abuse only to have, and if I'll use this terminology, have God not answer my prayers. 
How could God, how could this be the will of God? See, Jesus did not save himself from the cross for the same reason he does not spare the church persecution. The same reason he does not spare the saint from the fiery trial or the servant from a martyr's crown. Listen, because there's a greater work at hand. God did not spare Stephen from the stoning, but it was his death that softened the heart of Paul. God did not spare the apostle John from being burned in oil or exiled at Patmos, but did allow him to be caught up in the spirit to be an eyewitness to the book of Revelation. God did not prevent Charles Spurgeon from being slandered by his contemporaries, but he did preserve his works for centuries to come. God did not keep John Bunyan from prison, but his work, Pilgrim's Progress, is the world's best-selling book outside of the Bible itself. God did not prevent countless unnamed martyrs from having their blood spilled. But we know the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And God may not spare you and God may not spare me from some heartache. He may not spare us from some difficulty. And he may not take the plans that we have, good plans, sincere plans, pure plans for him to serve him and turn them upside down and not leave us in a situation saying, how could this be the will of God? We're critical of Peter. We're critical of those disciples. But could you imagine how fast things were moving and things that you never thought would happen when it comes to the Son of God are happening? How could this, our Savior, how could this, the King of the Jews, him being nailed on that cross and beaten and being mocked. How can this be God's plan? The simple answer is this. There was a greater work at hand. And in your life, you can, I can look back tonight and say, I don't know why God did this. It put me on a different traje trajectory than I thought I would be. There was a greater work at hand. You may be going through something right now. You say, I don't understand how this could be the will of God. This is not what I thought would take place. There's a greater work at hand. In the future, you may not understand why you stand by that grave. You may not understand what the report you get from a doctor. You may not understand the plans that you thought, that how God was going to use you and how God turns that upside down. But there's a greater work at hand. Now, that's the introduction. I've got seven statements that I'm going to make. Number one, because Christ did not save himself does not mean Christ could not save himself. This might be this, the most obvious statement that I could make to you tonight. Christ was on that cross because he chose to be on that cross. They could mock and they could make fun, but Christ did not save himself. We know it does not mean he could not save himself. Christ may not have answered your prayer your way, but that does not mean he could not have. 
God may not have prevented you from going through something in your life. That does not mean he could not have prevented it. Let me remind you, there's a greater work at hand. That's statement number one, because Christ did not save himself, does not mean Christ could not save himself. Statement number two, death and darkness did not defeat or derail the will of the Father. You read, and you ought to read through the Gospels often, but you read Christ's own words, and he's always consumed with the will of the Father. The will of the Father. But here's something these disciples did not see in the plans. For Christ to be crucified. Maybe they they had some sense of something was going to happen. But when they heard the leather straps hit the back of the Lamb of God, you and I have no grasp. Well, that must have done to their emotions and to their understanding. And then as Jesus is on the cross, he's there because it was the will of the Father. And if we were to take the time tonight and continue reading in this chapter, we would see the darkness come over the world as Christ took upon him the sins of the world and the Father turned his back on his own Son. And then we would... Read also in verse number 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. His life was not taken from him. He gave his life for you and I. But see, this was not an understanding. They didn't understand why this took place. Him himself, couldn't, he could not save. And it's, it's dark. And then there's death. But that did not defeat or derail the will of the Father. You may be going through a dark time, or in the future you may go through a dark time, but that does not mean the will of the Father for your life is null and void. Number three, the enemy does not get the last say. In verse 42, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Can you hear that? Does he see the declaration? Himself he cannot save. Well, there you go. Put, put, the, put the headline out on CNN. Print the front page of the new, newspaper. Jesus is a fraud. Publish the blog. Get it out there. It's been declared by the enemy that Jesus is not who he says he is. Himself he cannot save. The declaration is made. They've already made the declaration based on an assumption that he couldn't save himself. And then they set the qualifiers for him to prove who he was. The enemy doesn't get to do that with our God. Well, if he's really God, he needs to work in this way. That's not the way God works. Just as Satan took Jesus to that pinnacle and said, I'll give this all to you if you'll throw yourself. No, Jesus doesn't have to yield to anyone. The, the enemy does not get the last say. No matter how dark it looks, 
and how much Satan rejoices in this scenario. How much evil men laugh and mock and gamble at the foot of the cross. How desensitized do you have to be to cast lots at a crucifixion? They don't get the last say. Number four. We see in verse number 36, and sitting down, they watched him there. There's always someone watching. In this dark day, there were people just watching. In your dark day, there's people watching. In our nation, there's a lot of evil in our nation. There's people watching. Say, Pastor, why is that significant? Because when you get to the end of this chapter and into chapter number 28, we find an empty tomb. And when the word began to spread that the tomb was empty and Jesus had risen from the dead, there were some who sat down and watched and said, I saw him die. And now he's alive. Do you think they needed to be convinced? They saw it. I saw how he looked. I saw he didn't even look like a man. I I saw the soldier with the spear pierce his side. I saw them take that lifeless body off of the cross, and now there's an empty tomb. And friend, let me remind you, when you you stand by that graveside, when, when, when you hunch over with sickness and disease, when you go through those hard times, there's somebody who knows you're a Christian watching you. There's somebody that's waiting to hear if what you have been saying matches up with your life. And the only way many times we can show a world that Christ is who he says he is, he's got to let them say himself he cannot save. You, gotta, you can pray and pray, Lord, remove this, and he's got to say, nope, we got to go through with all this so those people watching can see that God is real. There's always someone watching. Number five. I like this one. Coming out of the tomb is greater than coming off of a cross. It would have been pretty awesome for Jesus to come off that cross. Think about it. He's nailed to that cross. He's been beaten beyond recognition. He's laboring just to breathe. See, this is, this is how, because we're emotional, because we're impulsive, this is how we would have done it. As soon as they said, ha, himself he cannot save, come off that cross, we would have said, oh, yeah. But there was a greater work at play. And coming out of the tomb is a bigger deal than coming off of a cross. And while the day, you may face a dark day, you may face a day of disappointment, you may face a day that you, that you had no idea you would ever face, and it's like, how could this be the will of God? God, there's a work at play, and just remember, 
You may not be able to get off of that cross, if I can put it that way, but coming out of the tomb is a much bigger deal. And so we've got to trust the will of God. We've got to trust the plan of God. And coming out of the tomb is greater than coming off of a cross. Number six, the splendor of the finished work overshadows the horror of the beginning work. We often, re, we often refer to salvation as the finished work of Christ, the finished work of Calvary, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, Christ conquering death in the grave. The beginning of the work is a horror. It's heartbreaking. As we personally know the Savior, we read what Christ went through for us. But could you imagine being an eyewitness? I read of Christ's blood being shed and something wells up inside of me. But could you imagine being one who left all to follow Christ and seeing the blood pour down his head from the crown of thorns? We can't imagine that. The horror of the beginning work. See, when he was on that cross, all the devil's crowd, they were excited, they were celebrating. Hey, he could, he could save others, but himself he could not save. He can't come off the cross and prove to us, we've set the parameters, you, you do this and then we'll accept it, this is all that we'll take. The horror of all of that, the horror of the Apostle John standing at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her seeing her son and how she loved him and him taking, giving, up, giving up his life and taking that last breath. What a horror. But friend, remember, the splendor of the finished work overshadows the horror of the beginning work. I just happened to believe I was not there, but this is what happened, I believe. When Christ appeared in that upper room, they were not thinking about what he looked like on that cross. They're looking again at the Son of God. The splendor of the finished work overshadows the horror of the beginning work. You go from Golgotha to the empty tomb. You go from Pilate's Hall to the upper room. You go from the arrest in the garden to the ascension into heaven. The finished work is always more spectacular than the horror of the, of the uh, beginning work. And friend, you may be dealing with something tonight and, and the church of God around this world is being persecuted. And, and we, we rejoice. And I believe Christ's return is imminent. And this Bible tells us the closer we get to Christ's return, the more wicked this day is going to be. We will face persecution. All that live godly, all that live godly will face persecution. The Bible tells us it is happening. It is going to happen. But just remember, when that trumpet sounds, that will overshadow anything. When you stand before your Savior in that glorified body, oh, the, the end is much, much better than the beginning. The splendor of the finished work overshadows the horror of the beginning work. 
Number one, I said because Christ did not save himself does not mean Christ could not save himself. Number two, death and darkness did not defeat or derail the will of the Father. Number three, the enemy does not get the last say. Number four, there's always someone watching. Number five, coming out of the tomb is greater than coming off of the cross. Number six, the splendor of the finished work overshadows the horror of the beginning work. Now here's number seven. Be prepared to wait three days, three years, three decades, or until you stand before Christ. They mocked him. They made fun of him. He himself, he could not say, come on down. He said, I'm not coming down. Because there's a greater work to do. Lord, would you remove this from my life as Paul prayed? He said, no, I'm not removing it. I'll give you the grace to deal with it, but I'm not removing it. Sometimes you got to wait. Three days, three years, three decades. In some cases, until we stand in the presence of our Savior. I don't know what each and every one of you are dealing with tonight. I do not know what we will face in the future. I do know that my God is a sovereign God. I do know the things that take us by surprise do not take God by surprise. And I do know that God could change a situation today. And it shouldn't stop us from praying. It shouldn't stop us from wanting it to be different. But sometimes, just in this scenario, sometimes life changes so quickly, happens so fast, and before you know it, you find yourself in a situation that's completely out of your control. You're confused. Your life is turned upside down. You say, how in the world did we get here? How could this be the will of God? There's a greater work at hand. We just have to wait until God sees fit. And sometimes it's for three short days. But sometimes, sometimes it won't be until we enter into his presence. Oh, I want an answer down here. I want want a change down here. You hang in there. Don't quit. And as our own nation turns more toward God, I mean, I thank God for the president that we have and all the good he's doing, but as we have seen, it's not like the evil just packed up and left town. I believe they're still aborting babies and becoming more vocal and bold in that endeavor. 
I still believe they, 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 you know, they're assembling to try and, and stop that which is good. It, the closer we get to Christ's coming, the more it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I know this. When you find yourself in a situation that you didn't plan on, think of he himself he could not save. Oh, You gave all that money to church. You dedicated yourself so much. Didn't keep your loved one from getting sick. Didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to. Hey, Sunday's coming. And you may not get vindication down here. One day, what will overshadow all? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Just because God hasn't changed your circumstances doesn't mean he won't. But if he does it in the way that you want him to, how, is this, how could this be the will of God? Put yourself in Andrew and Philip and Matthew and Mark and their situation. And while we're critical, let's be honest, how dare they flee? When you got that bad news, where was your mindset? Where was your spirit? That, that's why you need a strong church. Because when we're weak. We've got people who love us to help us be strong. That's why it's important the friendships and the relationships you have. Because you're not going to be spiritually 100% every day. And we all need. I think God, I wish I could stand here and tell you that, that, that I've been 100% spiritually and, and my needs never buckle at what I face in life. And I know I gain strength from you. God's got a greater work. Your burden is not bad luck. Your sickness is not just unfortunate circumstances. God not, quote unquote, hearing your prayer or answering your prayer is not God's rejection of you. Because there's Many times a greater work at hand. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to depend on you. And Father, as